Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. Let's begin with a story from the Midrash, Bamidbar Rabbah 15.8. And I think I have it on the screen as well if you want to follow along. A king had a loved one. The king said, know that I will eat with you, so go and prepare for me. The loved one went and prepared an ordinary couch, an ordinary lamp, menorah, an ordinary table. When the king came, he brought his assistants around him and a golden lamp before him. When the loved one saw all the glory of the king, he became ashamed and hid all he had prepared for the king, since they were all ordinary. The king said to him, did I not tell you I would eat with you? Why have you prepared nothing for me? The loved one said to him, I saw all the glory that you came with, and I was ashamed, and I hid all I had prepared for you, for they were ordinary things. The king said to him, by your life I swear I will ruin all my things that I brought with me, and for the sake of your love I will not use anything except your possessions. And so the Holy Blessed One is entirely light, as it is said in Daniel 2.22, and light dwells with him. And God said to Israel, prepare for me a menorah and lights. That's in the, the tabernacle. Why is it written there, Exodus 25, 8, and they will make me a mikdash, uh, a tabernacle, um, dwelling place, and I will dwell in their midst, uh, and make a menorah of pure gold. So when you make it, the shekhinah, the presence of God, comes. Why is it written there, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting? Immediately God called to Moses, uh, this is in Numbers. When Moses went to the tent of meeting to speak with him, he would hear the voice speaking. What would it speak to him? At your setting up of the lights. Okay, so what's going on here? Do you get a kind of a, a sense of it, at least in the first part of, uh, of this relationship? The king's friend is nervous about the ordinary things in his home. He's afraid the king won't want to visit him. The tabernacle in this week's Parsha is like this. For example, there is a menorah, a lampstand, very similar to this one back here. Uh, and it's meant to bring light, to prepare a place for the king to visit with Israel. But compare this to the light of the king of kings, right? Um, Paul writes to Timothy, uh, drawing from the imagery of the Hebrew Bible, such as Daniel 2, which, is, uh, which was referenced in the Midrash. God alone possesses immortality and dwells in in a unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion amen so god in his extraordinary brightness still wants to be with us ordinary folks and still wants us to light our menorahs right even though it compared to his light it's uh, there's no comparison it's just an interesting way that god relates to us um just as a king would visit uh, the ordinary home of his beloved friend. We also long to prepare a place for God. Our lives 
are our tabernacles because God dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. We may feel like the furniture in our houses is not good enough for the King of Kings, but the overwhelming love of God shows that he still wants to be with us, close to us imperfect servants, close to our, us as jars of clay. The Midrash also mentions a tension at the end of this week's Parsha, which is uh, also the end of the book of Exodus, which is why we sang Chazak. Yes. Chapter after chapter, verse after verse. If you're reading along with the Parsha, what are we reading? A description of a tabernacle so that God can dwell with Israel and heal them from the golden calf incident. And at the very end of all these descriptions and the end of all this book, all these uh, end of this book, this is what we find. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of Adonai filled the tabernacle and Moses was unable to enter into the tent of meeting because the cloud resided there and the glory of Adonai filled the tabernacle. Kind of an anticlimax, isn't it? Right? You read page after page, right? And uh, maybe that's why we say chazak, right? We're trying to strengthen because we've, we've, you, you got through all these, all these descriptions of a tabernacle. Be strong, be strong, right? Well, Moses can't get into the tent. Moses, who encouraged the people, who interceded for the people, who oversaw all the work of the tabernacle, now he can't even get in. So what's going on here? Well, maybe this is a good thing. Have you ever thought about that? Could be a good thing. Why do I say that? The tabernacle is so filled with the presence of God that there's no room for anything else. It reminds me of uh, a saying of John the Baptist um, when he is talking about Yeshua. So an argument came up between John's disciples and a Judean concerning purification. They came to John and said, Rabbi, the one who was with you beyond the Jordan, the one you testified about, uh, look, he's immersing and all are coming to him, right? This Yeshua is getting a bigger following than you are. Yeah, aren't you jealous? John answered, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but rather I am sent before him. The one who has a bride is the bridegroom, but the best man rejoices when he stands and hears the bridegroom's voice. So now my joy is complete. He must increase while I must decrease, right? He must increase that I must decrease, right? So maybe that's what's going on with the tabernacle. Moses is, 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 is acknowledging that it's filled with the presence of God so he can't enter. So maybe it's a good thing. Often, it's not about us, right? It's not about our ministry, our work, our kingdom, our accomplishments, it's not about those things. We have to remember God is doing something that is his purpose, his purpose which prevails. And it's not about us getting everything we want, when we want it, and how we want it. Moses cannot enter perhaps because he's making room for the presence of God. Moses was not about glorifying himself. How many of you have ever been to a Passover Seder? All right, that's a lot of you. How many times is Moses mentioned in the, in the Haggadah? In many, oh, I see a bagel, all right. 
In many, uh, in many, most uh, seders, Moses is not mentioned even once. Why is that? Well, <laughs> the rat. Oh yeah, no bagels because it's Passover. I was just saying because it was the shape. Sorry, uh, matzah bagel. I don't know. Zero, zero times is the answer, <laughs> right? Um, the rabbis wanted to make room for the redemption story to be about God rescuing his people. And they didn't want future generations to glorify Moses. And based on his track record, I think Moses would have approved of that. He would have been okay with his name not being mentioned in, in, in the Seder because he was all about the kingdom of God. The other possible reason that Moses can't enter is that he's not invited. And that this isn't the end of the story. That's what the Midrash is pointing to. The Midrash we read cites a passage from Numbers right after. So it says Moses could not enter, but then it says uh, that God did meet with Moses later, just not right at the end of Exodus when the tabernacle is built. It's not the end of the story. We have to keep reading. Moses couldn't enter the tabernacle then, but later, what happens? God calls to him from the tabernacle and instructs him to make the lampstand, right? To reflect the light of God, to, to build these ordinary things so that God can be with them. It's very encouraging. We have just read page after page of the description of the tabernacle, and now we see Moses can't end after all of that. Then we as a community within Israel, we say along with all, uh, all the rest of Israel, what do we say? Chazak, chazak, venit chazek, chazak, chazak, venit chazek. I'm not singing on my own here, am I? Oh, you got you to sing with me. Be strong, be strong, and may you be strengthened. In other words, keep going. Keep reading. Right? He can't go in. That's not the end of the story. It's the end of the book. It's the end of the book of Exodus, but there's more Torah, right? What else is there? Well, there's the book of Leviticus is next. And Leviticus in Hebrew is named after the first word, which is Vayikra. Vayikra. What does that mean? It means, and he called. The first verse of the next book starts with, an and, and he called. This is the, the whole thing in English. Now Adonai called to Moses and spoke to him out of the tent of meeting. You just gotta keep reading. It's the next book, the very first verse. Don't stop, <laughs> keep going. Now Hebrew is complicated, but most scholars consider this book to start with an and, va that's the va. Okay, and he called. So why would you start a book with the word and? That's a weird way to start, isn't it? The rabbis noticed that. That means perhaps that it is connected to the story that came before it, right? Which we just read. The end of Exodus tells us two things. One we're very familiar with, because I, I mentioned it. Moses was unable to enter into the tent of meeting. Right? And then the second thing it says at the very end is that the cloud of God's presence was with them. And then immediately, in the beginning of Leviticus, Vayikra, and he called to Moses from the tent of meeting. You have to read the rest of the story. 
Moses couldn't enter the tent in that moment, but not for long, right? That's what the Midrash is reminding us. There's the rest of the story. Beloved, God gets to finish our story. We don't have to decide when the story is over just because the chips are down, right? We get to keep going and watch Hashem finish it. Would you read the story of Joseph like this? Oh, he's thrown in a well by his brothers. Then he's accused of misbehavior and thrown into a dungeon for three years. And that's the story of Joseph. Womp womp, right? No, you gotta keep reading, right? <laughs> My wife and I uh, once saw a ballet of Romeo and Juliet uh, together. Spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it, it does not end well, okay? All right? And yet, uh, and we know this, right? We, we're, we're all, we know the spoiler, right? And I find myself at the end, I'm always just like, just wait a second, she's gonna wake up. Like, don't do that, right? Romeo chooses to end his story before it's really finished. And that is the, at the center of the tragedy. In other words, God finishes things well. He doesn't start a project and then abandon it, right? God doesn't switch horses midstream, right? Which is part of, main part of Messianic Jewish theology, that God is faithful to the Jewish people, right? He doesn't replace them with, with the church, right? But rather they're grafted along with Israel, okay? And we are made in his image. So if God finishes things well, what does that mean? we should try to do the same. In many ways, Moses modeled this as a representative of God. Here are some examples from this week's Parsha, and I want us to think about the creation story when we read this, okay? So uh, this is from this week's Parsha. This is from Exodus 39, verse 32. So all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting was Finished. Okay, you got to finish my sentences sometimes. Okay, Bnei Yisrael, the children of Israel, did everything according to what Adonai had commanded Moses. They did it just so. All right. Then the next verse, forty thirty-three. He set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the screen at the gate of the courtyard. So Moses finished his work. Right. When Moses saw the entire work and that all they had done it just as Adonai commanded, Moses blessed them, right? What is this seeing and finishing and blessing remind you of? Reminds us of creation. This is what God did in creation. This is uh, Genesis 2. So the heavens and the earth were finished, completed, along with their entire array. God completed on the seventh day his work that he had made, and he ceased on the seventh day from all the work he had made. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, for on it he ceased from all his work that God created for the purpose of preparing, right? And we've talked about this before, I mentioned this last time, that the, the cosmos, the, the all of creation, right, is like a tabernacle, is like a temple right, where God wants to dwell, and the humans are like the priests. And so 
Moses is fulfilling this role, right? He's reflecting what God did in creation. Just as God sees the completed work of creation, he calls it complete, he sees it, calls it finished, and then blesses his creation. What does Moses do? He sees the completed tabernacle, he completes the work according to God's instruction, and then he blesses the people, right? God completes well, and he empowers Moses to imitate him in this. Moses also, in this way, finishes well, and I think we can finish well as well. Well? Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> for some of the patriarchs, like Isaac and Jacob, the Torah tells us that at the end of their life, their eyesight was dim. Have you ever noticed that? This is partly why Jacob is able to fool his father Isaac and steal the blessing from his brother, because his father Isaac doesn't see very well. But this is how Moses is described near the end of his life. This is the final chapter of the Torah, Deuteronomy 34. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Let's read it together. His eye was not dim, nor his vigor gone. Woo! Chazak, right? Perhaps this was from his humility, right? His being in the divine presence so long, or a combination of the two. But we see that in many ways, Moses finished well. He was faithful to complete what God gave him to do, and he didn't give up halfway through, as God doesn't give up on us, right? If you're familiar with the lives of the first three kings of Israel, think about their story arcs for a second. None of them finished well. Saul, the first king, he did well for a while, but he took matters into his own hands out of pride. David did well for a while, but he became greedy, right, and lustful, and then he tried to hide his mistakes, right, rather than going to the Lord and asking for forgiveness right away. He did eventually, but that was because his buddy confronted him. Solomon, woo, right? He did well for a while. In fact, he got very close to Eden, didn't he? There was justice in the courts. There was peace all around from all his enemies. Nobody was bothering him, and there was immense prosperity, right? So much that the queen of Ethiopia came and was like, what's going on here, right? And it's the God of Israel, and it's because we're following Torah, at least in this moment, right? But after that, he fell into idolatry and pride, and things just went downhill. None of them finished well like Moses did. Or think of the story of Joseph, right, that I half told in the beginning, right? If you go to the end of the story, he finished well, right? So here are my tips for finishing well based on these narratives. Number one, remain humble, right? Think about what M Moses did. It wasn't about him, it wasn't about his kingdom, and therefore he was able to finish well. Number two, remove the idols. And the thing that you're doing can be an idol, right? The tabernacle that you're building for God could be more important to you than God. So it just, it just involves a reassessment of our priorities and putting God first, right? Even if it's a good thing, 
right? God has to come first. And then number three, blessing others, right? Notice that Moses at the end, he, he used this as an opportunity to bless. And number four, let God reframe your story, right? Don't end your story where you are or where, you know, in the worst spot, but just keep going, keep reading, right? Because God is faithful to finish what he starts. Along these lines, uh, referencing a lot of these ideas, Yeshua tells a parable to us in Luke 14. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and figure out the cost to see if he has enough to finish it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and isn't able to finish everything, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king won't first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to confront the one coming against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far away, he seeks an ambassador and asks for peace. In the same way, whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Right? Again, we have a, a giving over to God of everything that we have, right? A surrendering of the things that could be idols so that we can finish well. So in conclusion, right, to sum up, the best way to finish well, I'm, I'm sorry, that's all I have. I didn't finish this. So, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Just seeing if you're paying attention. All right, I did finish the sermon. <laughs> All right, let's go back to <laughs> sorry. Let's go back to the uh, beginning story in the midrash about preparing for the king. The friend had such anxiety about the project that he didn't set anything out. He didn't put out any furniture. And the king came, and rather than scolding his friend, what did he say? I would gladly put away my things and use your ordinary furniture just to be with you. This is the grace of God, and this is the sovereignty of God over our unfinished projects. It's okay. It's okay if we're not totally done with all our projects, because guess what? God isn't done with this project, right? He's not done with us yet, right? But if we remain humble, and if we remove the idols, right? And uh, if we seek to be a blessing to others, we can finish well. Sometimes we might think, I'm not doing well. You know, I think I'm messing up God's plan. Well, <laughs> we're, not, we're not big enough to do that, <laughs> right? That's not how God wants us to think about it. We can't mess up his plan. He's a better planner and a better king and a better doer than we could even imagine. We don't want to go against his plans, right? But if we focus on the relationship with God and the relationship with others, rather than being perfect, right? And having all these, you know, beautiful things for him because he's God, right? I think we can trust him to complete the work if we think about it relationally. Did Moses make mistakes? Yeah, he did. Did he realize all his dreams in his lifetime? He did not. But he was faithful to Israel and faithful to God and he trusted God with the rest. In his lifetime, he didn't bring Israel into the promised land. So did he just give up? What did he do? He raised up Joshua so that Israel would still have a shepherd to lead them after he died. He wasn't all about himself. He's like, I can't go, right? That's okay. I'm gonna disciple this young man, right? 
from a different tribe, right? So that he can be the leader, right? Um, it's because it's not about me. It's about what God is doing, right? Moses wasn't about himself and his plans, but his heart, his heart was to mediate blessing and the forgiveness of God, and that's what he did. So I'm going to close with some advice from Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy, which I believe captures the unique tension of grace and trust when we fall short for God to complete what he began in us. This is really cool. Remember Yeshua the Messiah, raised from the dead, from the seed of David, according to my good news. For this I suffer hardship as a criminal, even to the point of chains, though the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the chosen, that, so that they might obtain the salvation that is in Messiah Yeshua with eternal glory. He's thinking about the blessing of his brothers in Israel, right? Trustworthy is the saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, right, if we go against him, he will also deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. See that little turn, right? For he cannot deny himself. Turn to someone and say, he will surely complete the work that he began in you. Turn to someone else and say, he will surely complete the work he began in you. Amen. Avinu, Father, thank you that you're faithful, that you finish what you start, and that you have made us in your image. Help us to be good finishers, but also to trust you with those unfinished projects and to, to be relational and to know that you just long to be with us. And uh, yes, we do have to clean things up. Yes, we do have to get rid of our idols. But as long as we're not going against what, uh, what you're doing, um, we will be uh, uh, successful in the sense that your will will be done on the earth, in and through us. Because you partner with jars of clay, you know that we're made of dust, and you have grace with us to work in and through us, because you're just that good. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.